Hey, well, would you open your Bible this morning to Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 to 21. Uh, today, we're continuing our series on kingdom culture, and we're answering the question of what it looks like and what does it mean for the people of God to live in a godless culture or a godless society. And we're going to be talking about a hope that sustains, a hope that sustains. But before we continue any further, I just want to clarify something. Last week we were doing online church and my kids were just giggling and cracking up because I kept mispronouncing uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. I kept pronouncing Nebuchadnezzar and my wife and my kids they were like, hey, where do you pronounce it like that? And I just remembered that's how it was pronounced. That's how I heard it heard in my Filipino church way back in the Philippine, way back in uh, the mainland in California. So all that to say is that don't take any pronunciation lessons from me because uh, it's Nebuchadnezzar, not Nebuchadnezzar. And growing up, I always thought it was Philemon, but it was Philemon. When I was in junior high, I remember, you know, getting the, the cough and the sniffles. I told my friends, oh, I need Robitussin. I need Robitussin. It's Robitussin. <laughs> and when I was in high school taking AP uh, government, uh, I learned, uh, I said, uh, sovereignty, not sovereignty. All right. So... All that to say is Jesus is good and thank you for your grace for this Filipino pastor. Thank you for your love and acceptance as we continue in our series. Sounds good? All right. Well, in Daniel uh, chapter 1 verses 3 to 21, um, we see uh, biblical principles in how to live as people of the kingdom of God. That there is a culture. Uh, Galatians says... Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That these are the fruit of the Spirit that's in our lives that we are to live under. You know, if there's one thing I've heard consistently, and if you listen to postmodernism or liberal Christians, that they say that the Bible is an ancient book. It contains antiquated and obsolete rules and regulations and they have no relevance but may i submit to you this morning that the book of daniel in fact from genesis to revelation the inspired second timothy 3 says the inspired god breathed word of god it is powerful it is relevant that it, it gives us instructions for godly living and righteousness and as I said last week, the book of Daniel is not um, primarily for cool Sunday school stories about faith, but it is really a primer on adults and for Christ followers on how to live in a culture that opposes God. Especially us, we live in a post-Christian uh, world right now where we went through the revival we went through a christian nation but now we're post that we're after that and how do we navigate through these certain times and so let's go to daniel chapter 1 it's kind of a long chapter we'll finish from 3 to 21 let's start in verse 3 then the king commanded 
Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, remember that, chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. I highlighted that. We'll refer to that later. Verse 5, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Verse 8, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave, there's that important phrase again, we see that in verse 2, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And of the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Verse 11, Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for this youths, God gave, there's that word again, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them was none found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. I don't know what it is, but some way, somehow, we think that our generation has it worse than previous generations or any other generations before us. We had family dinner last night. I was discussing with my kids 
the FWPs that we had. You know, FWPs, first world problems and the struggles that we had growing up in the 80s and 90s. I told them the, the struggle was real of having to wait one whole week for a radio or for a TV show to come up that we had to go to a, a store called Blockbuster that, that before the advent of Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus and all these streaming services and these vast libraries, we had to go to a physical store and rent uh, a DVD. I had to tell them how hard it was with this thing called dial-up. <laughs> and you had to insert a CD. <laughs> And there was only like a hundred hours worth of work before you had to pay extra an exorbitant exorbitant amount of, of money if you went over the assigned hours. And my son Judah, you know, still couldn't quite grasp. He's like, man, I'm so glad that I wasn't around where you had to put game cartridges in the VCR. <laughs> game cartridge in a VCR. Uh, still completely didn't get it. You know, I'm just joking around and uh, these things were are meant in jest. But I think, we think, some way, somehow, we have it bad in our culture. We think we have it bad when it comes to racism uh, and uh, the godlessness of our society. That they removed prayers out of school. That they made abortion legal that we have immigration problems, our legislation, we ask and we scratch our heads with some of the decisions that have been passed through our governments. We, with things like same-sex marriage and uh, marijuana becoming legal and all these different things, and we think we have it bad. But can I bring some perspective uh, to you and to us <laughs> this morning? Uh, and the perspective is that the times that Daniel lived and the circumstances which he had to live out his faith was terrible. It was really, really bad. How wicked and how difficult Daniel's dilemma was. It was incredibly tough. Last week we talked about how how wicked the king of Babylon was. And in Revelation 14 it says... Um, Babylon, Babylon, how, 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 how fallen this great city of Babylon. And Babylon in the, in the Bible, in biblical history, it was the personification of evil. You would think it would be like Sodom and Gomorrah, or you would think it would be like Nineveh, or you would think it would be Rome. But for all the angelic hosts, when they looked through time and they looked forward to the future, they thought, man, Babylon was the absolute worst. In fact, uh, the God's judgment upon Babylon would be so bad that there was a prophecy that the city of Babylon, once it be destroyed, that it will never rise up again and that it will never exist again. Not only was the city bad or the empire Babylonian Empire, but their king was bad. King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Not Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, um, he raided God's temple. He uh, took the things that belonged to God and he made the holy 
unholy. The things that were sacred, he made them profane. He mocked God as being powerless. I don't know about you, Ben, but that's pretty bad to, to mock God and to take action against God. And furthermore, if you think about the culture, that the Babylonian culture in which Daniel lived in, it was bad, where the government-sponsored religion was, and the core curriculum was astrology and the occult. You know, I was, yeah, I, from California, right? The, the land of um, fruits and nuts. But um, sometimes you think about the legislation and some of the decisions that are passed down, some of the laws that are passed down, and you think, man, what in the world were they smoking? I mean, you know what they were smoking. You and I know what they were smoking. And, and we think it's getting from bad to worse. But you and I have never had to live in a culture where you had to take a three years master's program on occult and astrology and Baal worship as official religion just so that we could serve in government and have some sort of capacity of authority in government. And that was what Daniel lived in. It was pretty bad. And that was Daniel's dilemma. Well, Daniel, he was a young man. He was kidnapped. He was ripped apart at the border, as it were. He was taken. He was captured, separated from his family. He was going to in this new land where back then they didn't have Google. They didn't have Yelp. He didn't know what was happening in Babylon. He didn't know what good places to eat. He didn't have a Google translator that could translate for him. And he had no understanding what would be going on. And... He was a young man who was noble, who was chained, who was kidnapped, and they took the brightest and the best. And Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to train and, uh, and train him in astrology into the occult. And what's worse is that you take a name like Daniel. Dan in, in Hebrew means judge. E is my. L is God. Daniel. My God is judge, and they changed it to Belshazzar. Now, Belshazzar in uh, Akkadian means Baal or Baal, um, is a demon god. It means the demon's god prince, or Baal protects my life or protects his life. Could you imagine that? If you're a Christian, the government were to take over, were to be invaded by a foreign country, we had to learn other religions. And they change your name. If your name was, if you're a Christ follower, your name, so for example, your name was Christian, right? Or Christopher, right? Chris, I mean, Christ, Topher, to carry the cross. And they change it to Lucifer. Or they change your name to Judas. Or they change your name to Son of Satan. Like, oh my gosh. And on top of that, it's most likely that Daniel was castrated. Remember, he lived among the chief of the eunuchs. Now, um, it's not explicit, but I think it is implied because usually when they would have sons like prophets like Daniel, um, it would be mentioned, 
right? Like Samuel had sons and um, different prophets had sons. Well, there's no record of Daniel having sons and he served under the eunuch and you were to be around the king's court and kings back then, they had harems, young, attractive women. And as Daniel said in Daniel chapter one, people who are intelligent, who are good looking, who are handsome, I could totally relate to that. But anyways, just teasing. Um, here comes Daniel. And, you know, you might be an older king and you have these young men, good looking, who are smart, who are intelligent, who are engaging, who had good personalities and worked out on the field, who were ripped, you know, kind of maybe like Joseph. And if you don't want them to foil your plans and to mess with their harems, there was an easy way to take care of that, and that was to castrate and make you, the servants that are close to you, make them like eunuch, make them as eunuchs, which means even though they were men, they had no, they couldn't function as men. They were castrated. And this is where Daniel was at. Imagine for a minute the wicked situation and the terrible circumstance with, that Daniel was in. He was forced to study a cult for, the, for three years. He was put in, this, in service of this godless king who destroyed your country, who kidnaps you, who had you castrated, who changed your name into the prince of demon from God is my judge. And yet Daniel was able to live and to thrive and to flourish in this godless culture because of a couple things. But today we're going to talk about because he had a, a hope that sustained. He had a sustaining hope that he was, he had a sense of optimism or hope and he was able to live in kingdom culture. And here's what I want us to get when regards to hope. What is hope? Hope or biblical hope is this. It is absolute confidence in the person, the purpose, and the plan of God. Let me repeat that. Hope or a hope that sustains. Just like Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1, he was under Nebuchadnezzar. By the end of chapter 1, he served under King Cyrus. He went from the Babylonian Empire to the Persian Empire. He, was able, he led two national revivals. He was able to keep uh, the Jewish identity as the people of God. He was able to lead and to live a salt and light in this culture. How did he do that? He had hope which means that he had an absolute confidence in the person of god in the purpose of god and in the plan of god you see hope not like the way we use the word here hope we where it's like wishful thinking you know a couple of weeks ago it was easter so ezra our five-year-old had a couple of um, surprise gifts over the mail through Amazon from grandma who spoils him. And uh, I, was, I was calling Renee and she was on the phone. Hey, daddy, 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 I hope I'm getting a present today. I hope. I was like, you already got two Hot Wheels. You're not getting, I hope. I'm still hoping, you know, where we use hope as wishful thinking. But in the Bible, 
and the faith like Daniel and the hope that Daniel had, hope is a confidence. It is a certainty. It is an optimism. Not just for the sake of having hope, but hope has an object. And the object is God and who He is and His plans and His purpose for your life and my life. Not only does hope have an object, but hope is a choice. We can choose to trust God, believe in God, and it's settled in our hearts, or we could choose doubt. You see, Daniel, he lived a life through extreme difficulties, extreme hardships, extreme trials, that he was even thrown into prison for doing, for praying too much and serving God. And he was able to stay the course and thrive and flourish and not only survive, but he was able to live in kingdom culture because he had this sense of hope. And I think it, we, we get it from the first, from the second verse of chapter one, right? That the Lord gave, the Lord gave, the Lord gave three times. In Daniel chapter one, we see here the complete sovereignty of God. That even though he lived in a wicked nation, in a godless culture, with an evil king who mocked God, Daniel was able to be steadfast in his hope because he knew that ultimately God is in control of who's in control. We have to remember that hope um, sometimes that the short-term success of the wicked is God's will. Let me repeat that. Sometimes short-term success of the wicked, it is God's will. And what sometimes sidetracks us as we go is like, how can this happen? How can God allow this to happen? And we, and we forget how much God loves us so much. And we forget that God cares so much more about our eternity than our present. That God is much more concerned about our ultimate holiness than our current happiness. And when the nation of Israel was going along and they were straying into their own way and disobeying God, sometimes the only way to bring Israel to their knees is to bring them to their knees. Uh, among those who work with addiction, uh, with addiction rather, we call that hitting rock bottom. It's not until people hit rock bottom that we begin to look up and say, you know what, I've been running my own life and it's clearly gotten me into a path of destruction. I may have things, I may have success, but I'm empty inside. My relationships are all fractured. My own kids don't talk to me. My marriage is a mess. My own health is failing. And sometimes we, the only way to get us to our knees is to get us to our knees. And, and this is what happens to the nation of Israel. But throughout all that, God, Daniel saw the overarching sovereignty of God, this meta-narrative, this overarching, there's little narratives, but this overarching meta-narrative, the greater narrative, as it were, of the sovereignty of God. Look at Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, 
for there is no authority except that which God had established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And Daniel understood this, and he had a sustaining hope, a hope that sustained, because he understood the sovereignty of God. He understood who God was. He, he trusted and he had complete confidence in the plans of God. Even though he didn't see it, Israel being set free in his own lifetime, he understood the plan and the purpose of God. So I'm going to close off uh, this morning with two hope killers or hope blockers that, that kills hope. The first is this, is spiritual myopia. Spiritual myopia, myopia being, you know, we're nearsighted. And myopia, spiritual myopia is we're so focused on the evil right in front of me, I can't see anything else. We're so focused on the evil right in front of us, we can't see anything else. You know what the solution to spiritual myopia is? Yeah, a lot of it is getting to the Word of God. A lot of it is knowing the stories of people like Daniel and Joseph and um, others who are, who are able to live for God in the midst of evil. But I think a big part of it is stepping back and getting perspective. And this is why we need to get into the Word of God because we, we develop a theological framework. We develop a biblical worldview that we don't focus what, right what's in front of us. When the, there's a mass shooting that happens, when 9-11 happened, okay, when there's um, a pandemic that we're going through, we don't focus on that. We, took, we take perspective and we realize that God is sovereign. Even when the elections don't turn out the way that we prayed it would and we hoped it would and it seems like our government is getting worse to worse. Romans 13 says that every government, every authority has been given by God. And if we want to survive and thrive in our culture, we have to put that in the foundation we want to just have this everlasting hope or a hope that sustains. It is that God is good. We are confident in who God is. Um, we refocus not in the evil in front of us, not in the problem in front of us, but we, we focus on the person and the purpose and the plan of God. And lastly, we'll go close with this. The opposite of, or the other side of spiritual myopia right in front of us is spiritual amnesia, which is forgetting all of God's blessings from the past. Whereas spiritual myopia, it just focuses on the evil right in front of us. Spiritual amnesia, we forget the miracles that God has done in the past. 
think about the children of Israel as they in Exodus chapter 4 as the children of Israel left Egypt they found themselves with a body of water right in front of them the mountains on two sides and the Egyptian army charging right behind them and they cried my God my God did you just set us free and leave us into the desert to die now I think about how different would have been if the leaders if someone led and instead of having spiritual myopia of seeing the problem ahead of them right in front of them or spiritual amnesia of forgetting what God has done what if the leaders and, and, and the men and the husbands and the moms, right, would just rise up and just like, hey, don't you guys remember the first plague and the second plague and the third plague and the fourth plague? Do you remember the angel um, of death passed over and spared our lives, sp spared our firstborn? Do you remember that God's miracles is so great that we're able to to get their, they gave us all their possessions so that we would just leave Egypt. Remember, this is the God that we serve, His plans and His purpose for us. This is who God is. The, this God who did all these miracles in the past. I think, is it possible that He could figure a way to get us out of this mess? And see, hope is a choice. And our hope will grow when we focus on God, when we have confidence in who Christ is. And I'll just close with Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is every, above every name, so at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hope has an object. If you look at especially in the New Testament, the object of our hope is the return of Jesus. And as Philippians says here, at the return of Christ, every knee would bow on earth, on heaven, under the earth, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The reason why we have confidence is because we know who wins. God wins at the end. Every knee will bow. Every skeptic knee will bow. Every um, unbelieving knee will bow. Every mocking knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord. In the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus asks his disciples, Hey, who, who do people say I am? Some say you're Elijah, some say you're a prophet. And what did Peter say? You are the Christ. And what did Jesus say? Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but the Holy Spirit revealed this to you. And he says what? Upon this confession that I am the Christ, the gates of hell will not prevail. I've grown up Christian for a majority of my life, grew up in church, and I always thought, you know, the gates of hell 
would not prevail is like uh, that we all we have to do is just hunker down just hold on just stand down and the gates of hell will not prevail over us you know it's kind of like you just if you just hold on through this tornado of the world happening around us you see like that little motor home or that little home in Arkansas that's a, it's able to stand when all the rubble and the tornado has passed are like ah oh, the gates of hell did not prevail but that's not accurate because gates we need to see this here gates are not an offensive weapon we never say oh, let's take charge and let's bring our gates no gates are a defense mechanism so in other words when the kingdom of god is advancing when people hear the good news of the gospel of jesus when the lord removes the veil from their eyes and people turn to christ the gates of hell will not be able to hold on and will not be able to contain the advancement of God's kingdom. Woo! Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. The gates of hell cannot contain, they cannot hold on that the kingdom of God bursts forth and it's gonna break through the gates of hell because Jesus is king. The God of the universe sits on the throne. And hope is a choice and hope is an object. I pray that this morning we make the decision to put our hope in Christ, the person of Jesus, his plans and his purposes for you and for me. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for just renewing our minds, oh God. Thank you for speaking to us so clearly. I just pray, Father, that you would reinvigorate some of us. We've gone through despair. We've gone through hopelessness. Would, Lord, this morning we choose you, God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We choose hope. We choose the person of God, his plans, his promises, his purposes for us, oh Lord God. Help us, Lord God, to just be sustained by your grace, that our hope, Lord, be, would be the one that would sustain us, that we would hear, well done, good and faithful servants. So, Lord, be exalted, be lifted high. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.